Well, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, let's go ahead and get ready to go. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, if you're new to Life Church, then we've got some of these scriptures up on the screen for you. But uh, if you've been saved for a while, you have your own Bible, right? Yes. All right, then the, get it out and dig into it, write in it, write, underline stuff, highlight, make your Bible. Make the words in this book precious to you. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much today for this opportunity to study your word. We believe that you're at work now, faithful in our lives to do great things. And I ask that you would speak to hearts and direct every life today in accordance with your will and your plan. We believe that you're enlightening our understanding today as we hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, everybody, we've been talking about the rules of grace, and we want to get into some more of this today. You ready for it? Come on now. I don't think you can get enough grace. And, uh, and we're doing some serious uh, brain surgery <laughs> during this series, some mind renewal, as if we put it into biblical terms, to, uh, to keep us out of that Old Testament mindset, to keep us out of that law mentality. We value the Old Testament, we just don't live under it, all right? We value the law of Moses, we value some of those things. They are good, all right? But we just don't live under it, and we've got to understand the difference so we can maximize New Testament living. And uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 8, you ready for that? Okay, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Is anybody saved here today? (laughs) If you're saved, you're glad about it. (laughs) You are happy camper if you have been saved. If you uh, have not been saved, you might not even understand the fullness of what we're talking about and why we can be so happy and, and shout to victory But uh, when you come into this, I tell you what, you're going to be so glad. uh, You'll never go back. Never turning back. Amen? Saved. Saved. We're saved by His grace. Isn't that right? Not by what we do. Not because we're the smartest people on the planet. Not because we just act perfect every day. Not because we're better looking than everybody else. No, because we were saved. It was something that happened to us. Didn't it? It happened to me. Now, my choice was believing in the Savior, but when I put my faith in the Savior, He saved me. Therefore, I am saved. It's already transpired in my life. I've been saved. I've been rescued. I've been delivered. I've been changed. Amen. The Lord did that for me. I'm I'm happy about that. Saved. Not going to be saved. (laughs) <laughs> not going to be saved when I die. You know how sometimes people want to say, well, I don't know about this God business. And uh, when I die, stand before Him, when I'm looking at Him, then I'll choose Him. Well, that's a n- nice thought, but that's not the way it works. How many understand that salvation does not work that way? Uh, the, Lord be- the Lord values faith. Faith is this, it's I believe what I don't see based on the evidence that he's left, based on the testimony of others, based on uh, some different factors there, based on what he has said, I believe in what I don't see, and that produces a change in me that is physically evident. Over time, it's physically evident, and instantly, it's, you know, spiritually manifest. 
but, but the Lord values faith. And so we always approach Him His way. And, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 that it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And so there's no indication that a person gets to make any choices after that point of death in their life. And so what do we do? <laughs> well, I, I know is I don't see any dead people. You know what I'm talking about physically? Uh, We're alive, so we've got choices to make. We've got the right, the opportunity to believe God, to believe in the finished work of Jesus and what He's done for us. And that faith in Him produces an an everlasting and eternal change in our lives. When I believe in Him, I get saved. Therefore, I am saved and glad about being saved. All right, let's go to the, our, our other scripture here today. That's Colossians 2 and verse 6. Everybody ready for Colossians 2? All right, we've been reading these, these every week for the last number of weeks now. It says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And so this is where we're talking about the grace walk. All right, not only am I saved by believing in God's favor and grace and, and ability towards me, uh, I live that way now. I walk in His favor and grace and ability toward my life. And this is essential that I get a hold of this, and that's why we've been pounding away, all right, just chipping away at some of those those bad foundations, you know, Uh, some of those things that have gotten in the way uh, of us living the life that Jesus wants us to live. And that's this, this, this belief sometimes that even after I'm saved, there's still something wrong with me. Even after I'm born again, that there are still kind of things between God and me, and, and you know, I'm just, there, there's, there's issues. No, there are no issues. All right? I'm either saved or I'm not saved. I'm either in the kingdom or I'm not in the kingdom. And, uh, and, and thank God, when you put your trust in Him, He, he finishes the work. Let's look over at Romans chapter 9 and, and look at this a little bit further now today. In Romans chapter 9, we want to read, uh, starting in verse 30, some powerful things here. It says, What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness? Now, Gentiles meaning, in this case, non-Jews. Even the righteousness of faith. But Israel... Pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Notice what it said here. They were pursuing it. Israel says they were going after it, but they didn't get it. They wanted to have righteousness, but they didn't get righteousness. Do you know that a person could, could pursue or go after something good? Righteousness is good. They could go after something godly, something that is of God, and not get it. That it's entirely possible for a person to think that they have, think that they are pursuing God and not attain what God wants to give them? Hmm. How many know there are people in our world today that like to blow up others? Like to strap bombs to themselves. Like to fly airplanes into tall buildings in the name of God, supposedly. Trying to obtain a better standing with Him. That if they kill the infidels, then they'll get rewarded for that. How many know they're going after what might be deemed a good thing, right standing with God, to have God accept and embrace and reward them? Can't argue with that. But how many know they're going about it the wrong way? 
that you don't end up on the other side of that and God saying, good boy, <laughs> good job. No, and, and even Israel, uh, it says, has tried to atta- obtain righteousness, but they didn't get it. Say, well, if I call out to God for something, certainly He'll give it to me, right? It depends how you, how you get there. depends uh, the method in which you use. It's, it's, like, it's like being in a room. Being in a, being in a building, if you want to get out of the building, I would advise you use the door. Huh? That's the prescribed way to get in and out. All right? You, you, you might think, well, I'm not really much of a door person. I mean, my family, <laughs> we've always done it this other way. And maybe you'll try to walk through the wall. <laughs> and you just keep bumping your head in the wall for your entire life trying to get something. Now, what you want might be good. Nothing wrong with the noble idea of wanting to get out of the room. Um, but the method that you use can make all the difference in the world as to whether you'll obtain the desired outcome. And, and scripturally speaking now, John 10, remember this Bible tells us that Jesus is the door. In other words, everything we do in this life goes through Jesus. In this covenant relationship that we have with Him uh, uh, in our day, it is all about Jesus. If I try to get things any other way, I'm going to be knocking my head up against the wall. And I might proclaim my grandma was a, was a, a wall headbutter. And my, my, my great-grandparents, they ran into the wall. And, and uh, everyone I know, we've always been wall people. And, uh, uh, and, and at my church, I go to the first church of the wall. And, <laughs> and whatever, whatever we have as our, our reason, our rationale for doing things a certain way, that doesn't mean that way is right. And we should always be open to change. But here, here's the big thing, and this is simple and it's easy, but the answer in, our, in, in this covenant is Jesus. He's the way we get everything. And we go, I mean, I'm not talking just being saved. That's the main thing. But for a, for a believer now, to have your prayers answered. How many understand you go through Jesus? That's why he said that in our day, he said, you, he told his disciples, you're not going to ask me for anything. How many know a lot of Christians pray that way today? Lord Jesus, give me this. Well, he said, you're not going to ask me for anything. They're butting their head up against the wall and wonder why their prayers aren't working. He said, but whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Whatever you ask who? The Father in the name of Jesus. We're always going through the door. See, Jesus and what he did through his death, burial, and resurrection opens up everything for us. It's, he is the way that everything works. Amen. And so let's keep that in mind. And that's what he's saying in this, this verse. He said they, they tried to get it, but they didn't get it. Verse 32, why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. So they were still trying to obtain righteousness by the works of the law. And that's something that we've got to watch out for today too. Because this gets, it seeps in to the thinking of believers today. We're trying to approach God by our works trying to live for him, trying to get his approval, get him to answer our prayers, get him to do things for us because we do everything right, because we obeyed, because we're living righteous, because we're living a holy life. No, that's not the way. You're butting your head up against the wall again. We've got to go back to Jesus. I relate to him. I get my prayers answered. He does things for me based upon my faith in Jesus and that Jesus was right in my place. He was perfect for me. 
Amen. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You know who that's talking about? That's talking about Jesus. That's an Old Testament quote, and it's scattered throughout the New Testament. Again and again, we see what do people stumble over in our day? They stumble over Jesus. All right? Jesus is the answer. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the light. He's the living bread. He's the door. He's the way we get all things. He's, He's the way that God blesses us. But if people don't view Him in His proper place and in the proper light, He becomes a stumbling stone to them, and they trip and end up in hell. And this is what we've got to recognize, that he is still a problem for people today. It's a misconception, a misidea, misappropriation of the work of Jesus that causes people to come short of God's plan and his glory for their life. But when I see Jesus in his perfect light, when I recognize Jesus and all he's done for me and all he's provided and all he is, that's when all the kingdom of God opens up to me. That's when God's great plan and his provision, his power, his grace all becomes wide open for my life. Thank God. And so let's not be tripping here today. <laughs> let's be receiving Jesus. Let's be, let's be keeping our gaze and our focus on Him in all that we do. Okay, go over to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, talking more about the rules of grace. Again, uh, differentiating between the Old Testament law and New Testament grace, how, how they lived and how we lived. We admire, we respect those who lived under the Old Covenant. We learn from some things uh, th- that they did and, and didn't do, but also we recognize that we have a new way of relating to God. It's a brand new relationship. It's not an abusive relationship. It's a new relationship with Jesus, and He loves us and treats us right. He pours His favor and grace upon on us every single day and uh, in 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 and, and let's read over here in verse 7 it says but the if the ministry of death notice that phrase written and engraved on stones was glorious now what was written and engraved on stones anybody know how many know that was the Ten Commandments he's talking to talking about there so we could say the law what does it call the law notice it calls it the ministry of death He said, the law, the ministry of death was glorious. Let's see. He said, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. So he came down from the mountain. He was shining. There was glory on him, but yet it's still called the ministry of death. He said, how how will the ministry of the Spirit uh, not be more glorious? Now, the ministry of the Spirit is what we have. It's the grace of God. He said, this is far better. They couldn't even look at that. Man, it was bright. It was incredible. But it was called death. And look what we've got. Verse 9, he says, For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. And notice again what it's called. The law is called a ministry of death, and it's called a ministry of condemnation. It would kill you. It would sentence you. It would make you feel uh, like a lousy, good-for-nothing rascal. And that was, was it, it was designed to do that so that we'd know that we needed a Savior. But, but again, we've got to recognize, if I want to be a law person, if I want to just be a preacher of law and all, all these, these types of things, I need to understand that I'm communicating death and condemnation. If I speak to other people that way, I'm communicating death and condemnation to those people. And do we really want to do that? I think when we really analyze it, no, we don't want to be ministers of death, ministers of condemnation, no more than we want to personally have death and condemnation in our lives. And so let's just not even go there. 
I mean, I think we need to come over into the new covenant where because the law is condemnation, but Jesus is righteousness. Jesus is not going to make you feel bad. You're not going to come to Jesus and Him make you feel bad about your life. Let's look over at Romans chapter 8. Just a little short left turn from where you're at. Romans chapter 8. See, see, this is one of the big differences between the old and the new is uh, that we are no longer to live with condemnation. Everybody say freedom, freedom. From, condemnation. from condemnation. Yeah, we're no longer to live with condemnation in the New, in the new Testament. And that's what this, this chapter here says, uh, chapter 8 of Romans in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's just stop right there for a moment. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, when is there no condemnation? Now. Do you notice that word now? When is now? now. When? Now. Okay, how about now? When is it? Now. <laughs> you said it was a few minutes ago or a few seconds ago. It, it's now. now. Well, when was this written? <laughs> no, it was not written now. <laughs> When was this scripture written? This was written quite a while ago, all right? A long time ago. But that's the cool thing about the word now, isn't it? Even though it was written then, we read it today and it's still now. So I know that this verse is talking about me. It's talking about today. It's not just talking about yesterday. It's not talking about tomorrow. It's talking about now. And tomorrow if I read it, it'll be talking about... And yesterday when I read it, it was talking about... So what is there? Now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How, how, how much are we supposed to feel and be and experience condemnation in our lives? Zero. El Zippo. Right? Nada. Here I go again. Flips switching over into my other languages. <laughs> you know when you're multilingual, it's kind of hard to stay focused on English. <laughs> There is now <laughs> no condemnation. To who? I know I'm reading this real slow, but I want you to think about it. To who? To those who are in Christ Jesus. So every person that's made Jesus the Lord of their life, they're in Christ. And so there's zero condemnation for your life. Zero condemnation for your life. The Lord is never sentencing you. Never condemning you. Amen. All right, now, we got that established a little bit. Okay, now let's deal with the other part of the verse. Okay, then it goes on to say, Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, if you know this verse, if you've read this before, that could give you a little bit of problem. I don't know if that's ever bugged you. That's bugged me before when I've read this verse, and I get all excited about the first half. <laughs> and then I read that second half about not walking in the flesh, and I realize that basically the second half of that verse canceled out the first half of the verse. Doesn't it look like that? The second part makes the first part null and void. Why? Because there is not a single person, not one among us, who has always walked in the Spirit. There is not one of us who has never missed the mark. And in fact, if that second part of the verse means 
that you don't ever sin, then that whole verse might as well be taken out of the Bible. You see how that's true? If I am righteous or not condemned in Christ when I live perfect, then I might as well say, there is condemnation to me. There is therefore now condemnation because you have not got your act together yet. Can you see that can't be the purpose of this verse being in here? It can't be that the second cancels out the first, so we've got to understand what's going on. And let me make some suggestions to you. First of all, some of you have Bibles, and I don't know all the translations you're reading, but some of you have some modern translations, and that second part of the verse is not there. Wave your hand at me if that's true, if the, if that's true in your Bible. All right. Some of you have Bible, And basically it just says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. That's interesting. Many, some some uh, scholars believe that the translators and some of our translations borrowed some of that language from uh, verse 3 or 4, and they thought it would make it flow better if they put it in there, but it was actually not in the manuscripts. That literally the Bible is telling us there is simply therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. Because you can see that the second part ruins it. <laughs> right? And I've got to know, am I condemned or am I not? Am I condemned? Ex- uh, am I free from condemnation only when I live perfect? Or am I free from condemnation because I'm in Christ? And those of us who have been around this series, we know it's got to be the, se- the latter there. That, that, that's the case. Now, I understand if, that's, if, that, if you have a hard time with that because I don't like to just, uh, you know, we never approach the Bible and say, oh, I agree with this, I don't agree with this, we'll just take this out. So there's got to be some legitimacy to any kind of claim like that. And so uh, if we look at it and say, well, you know, I believe that is in the original text, that last part of the verse there, well, then, then you still have to deal with it because it does undermine the first unless it means something different to this effect that when I'm walking in the flesh, basically that I, I am being mindful of sin or fleshly things, therefore that will produce condemnation in me, not coming from the Lord. But if, I, uh, but if I live, if I walk according to the Spirit, in other words, I'm mindful. Remember this from the other verse we read uh, in 2 Corinthians 3? Um, the ministry of the Spirit being more glorious. If I'm mindful of the Spirit, the law of grace that works in me, then I know there's no condemnation to me. Everybody with me on that? Either way, it's not about there is no condemnation to you unless you live perfect because you might as well, again, might as well take the whole thing out of there. Here's what I need to be mindful of. In Christ, I am. And in Him, I am not condemned. I am not guilty. I, there is no sentence against my life. The Lord is holding nothing, nothing against me. So what if you blow it? I'm still in Christ, and there is no condemnation. Amen. Now, the heart will get, your heart will give you trouble at times, but we'll, we'll, get, we'll get, jump into that in a little bit. Uh, but, but, but this is what we need to understand. See, when something is condemned, when someone is condemned, it's kind of like, uh, you might think of it like a building, a building that's condemned. 
uh, an old house, an old building, because it becomes unsafe and different factors uh, involved there. But when a building is condemned, how many know it's declared by a, some form of government, city government, to be unfit for use and ready for destruction? And likewise, that's the feelings that a lot of Christians have, unfit for use. I'm disqualified because of my behavior. I'm disqualified because I don't measure up here or I've failed here. I've got these strikes against me. And the absolute truth is, in Christ, there is no condemnation. That condemnation might be originating from the devil, might be originating from your own unrenewed mind and condemned heart, but it doesn't originate from being in Christ. All right? In the body of Christ, you're useful. In the body of Christ, you are not set for destruction. No, you are set for life everlasting. You are set for reward, for blessing, for favor, for increase, for God's love to abound in your life every single day. That's the condition that all of us have when we come into Christ. No condemnation. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. You know, Romans 8, and ch- 8, chapter 8 and verse 34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is he who condemns? Is the Lord condemning us? No. In fact, just the opposite. The extreme point is made. Man, it's not the Lord condemning people. He's the one who died for you. <laughs> it, I don't know if you've ever had something like that in your life where someone accused you and you thought, you've got to be kidding. I have bent, bent over backwards to help you. And you want to throw stones at me? You want to talk about me? I don't know if you've ever had anything like that happen. You've done something for somebody and they flipped it around and blamed you. Well, that's some, some of what happens to the Lord all the time. He gets blamed for all kinds of things. God takes the blame and He takes a whooping from people verbally all day long. God did this and God did this and the book of the Bible is saying you got to be kidding me. He's the Jesus is the one who died for you. He's not the one condemning. He's not the one setting you up for destruction. He's not the one putting a guilty sentence and making you feel bad about yourself. No, he gave his life for you and for me so that we might be lifted up. Amen. And so oftentimes a logical uh, conclusion comes when we're dealing with this subject now is 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 practical stuff like like what about if I sin if there's no condemnation in Christ if I'm saved and forgiven by his grace what about if I sin I don't know if you've ever had that question has anybody ever I don't know if you can relate to that <laughs> probably so uh, but first of all when you sin, it might be a good, good idea to recognize and to re, be reminded of Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Remember that verse? <laughs> there is therefore... What about if someone sins? When is that? If you sin, is it still now? So what does the Scripture say? There is still... There is no condemnation because you're still in Christ Jesus. See, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that if we sin, we're no longer in Christ. Because that would be the same as being eternally damned, as being separated from God. I sin, I'm out. And then i got to get born again again. 
then I got to get saved again and again and again and again and again. But that's not the case. So if I sin, I need to understand first and foremost that I'm still in Christ and therefore there is still zero condemnation toward me. God is not condemning me. God is not coming down on me if I sin. Say, but is it still an issue? Sin is still an issue in this regard. We never want to feel good about it. The goal in talking about grace and God's unmerited favor and love towards us is not that we feel good about sinning. Well, I'm under grace. Thank you, Lord. I'm in Christ. I can sin, and I don't feel anything. Well, if a person is really in that condition, I question, uh, I question where they're at in their walk with God. I'm telling you, I understand, and I'm understanding more and more, but I understand God's grace and how He relates to me, okay? If I sin, I feel like a rascal, <laughs> you know, feel like, a, <laughs> feel like a turkey, you know what I'm talking about? Just don't, I don't feel good about that. And it's not our goal in teaching this to make people feel just impervious. I can just do anything I want and sin, and it doesn't phase me. Well, really what that's called is a calloused heart, a seared conscience, okay? That's not the goal. That's not what we want. Um, but we've got to get away from the negative effects of condemnation. See, condemnation is not supposed to be operating in any one of our lives, if we allow it to continue, condemnation produces sickness. It produces worry and guilt and, and fear. And a lot of negative stuff comes from a person who feels condemned. Typically, maybe we'll get into this later, but they, they, they typically don't run to the Lord, but run away from Him when a person is experiencing condemnation. Yet there is none in Christ, yet if I sin, something within me says, you're a rascal. <laughs> and what it is, is our own heart that condemns us. But I can't continue living with a condemned heart and experience God's best. I've got to quickly get away from those feelings of condemnation, that any kind of thought that I deserve to be punished, that I've got it coming to me now. I start to expect good things. And don't even in this regard, if you do something wrong, don't get to the place where you feel good about feeling bad about yourself. Because you recognize, oh good, I have a tender heart. I feel bad about that. So I feel good that I feel bad. So I want to kind of stay feeling bad about myself for a while because I know that then I'm sensitive towards God and I... I, the plan of God is that not that we go through life feeling bad about what we do or about any failure. Is It is that we immediately get free so we live with a sense of righteousness. We live with a consciousness of right standing and acceptance and approval and blessing and favor in our lives. We, we, we relate to God. Never, uh, you know, he saw what I just did. I've always got to relate to him that he's smiling on me in Jesus. Okay, go over to 1 John. Let me show you this. Is this okay so far? 1 John chapter 1 
in verse 9. 1 John chapter 1, and verse 9. If you've read this a hundred times, don't, don't check, check out on me now. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, now here's the deal. Because this can, this can pose questions in people's minds, especially in this stage, if you've been a part of this series. Uh, you, you heard me say at different times that it's not a good idea for Christians to continually be confessing or be asking the Lord for forgiveness. I don't know if you remember me saying that. Uh, I've been around those who make it a habit every time, at mealtime. They're praying with the family, and Lord, forgive us of our sins. And I said, that is not a good idea. Remember why? That builds a consciousness of sins. It it basically reinforces this mindset. It's an Old Testament mindset that we are all sinners. No, I need to be reminded of Jesus and my right standing with Him, not be reminded of sins. And people, just because of this consciousness of sins, they feel like there's always something in their life that's wrong. There, oh, there's got to be sin. Well, no, there doesn't have to be sin. And I'm not just talking about behavior either. Okay? I'm talking about practically uh, that in Christ there is no sin. And so here, here, here's what we're, what we're talking about. This book, the book of 1 John, was written to believers who were dealing with certain false teachers and false prophets that had come in and they had gotten really funky with their doctrine. They had gotten really off track. Later it became known as Gnosticism. Okay? Not, uh, Gnostic, it comes from the base word of knowledge. Okay? And, and they believed things like all flesh is bad and spirit is good. Okay, they believed that because of that, of course, Jesus didn't have a real body. That he just, you know, his, his body was somehow just apparent but wasn't real. And they really got off base from the, from, from, from the gospel. And because they believed all spirit was good, all flesh was bad, they came to the point where they didn't even really believe in sin. Well, because, you know, spirit is all that matters. And so anything done in the flesh, that doesn't even really matter. And, and they were being corrected, and, and they were being taught the correct way. And, and, and this, is, this is what he's saying. You don't act like sin doesn't exist. That's not what grace does. Grace acknowledges that there is sin, that it is a problem, and therefore we seek the solution of the blood of Christ that sets us free. We seek the solution of God's amazing cleansing and forgiving power that relieves us of the sin, but we're not saying sin is not there. We're not saying sin is irrelevant. We're saying it's dealt with through Jesus. And there's that continual washing of the believer's life in Christ. And when a person... uh, When the word here, it says, if we confess our sins... Think about it this way, because if you, you can read the context on your own, but it's talking about people denying sin, denying that there is even any sin. Think of it this way. If we acknowledge sin, we're not saying, I don't, 
you know, that's not even, that's not an issue. I didn't do it. We're not saying that sin is not there. We're acknowledging it, therefore, at the same time, acknowledging God's forgiveness. If you say you don't have any, man, you're a liar. (laughs) You are messed up if you call sin and say it's not sin. But the moment you say it is what it is, but Jesus did what he did, and Lord, I receive your, your, your forgiveness because that's the way he is. If you say it's nothing, man, you're deceived. If you say it is something, but Jesus is more than that, then, well, he's faithful and just to forgive you. Then it becomes a non-issue in my life, but it's because I acknowledge the solution to it. This is the way that we have to live. Not every day, Lord, forgive me of my sins. No, 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 I've already been forgiven of my sins. I've been born again. I'm a brand new man in Christ. And so I don't want to go there. Right? But if there's something in particular that I do that is contrary to my new nature in Christ, it's contrary to the nature of God and His love and His right standing, then my heart is going to let me know instantly. I'm going to know, what should I do? I can't continue to live in condemnation. It's never coming from God, understand, because I'm in Christ. But it is coming from within me, and the Lord still doesn't want me to live feeling beat up, even if it's originating with me or originating from the devil. And so I deal with it. How do I deal with it? Lord, I blew it, but I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you for forgiveness in Christ that I am washed and cleansed. What am I doing? I'm not changing my spiritual condition and and standing with God. I am changing my mental and emotional condition and standing with God. I'm getting my mind back back to where I am in Christ. Therefore, I have no guilt, no shame, no condemnation because in Him, none of that exists. But I've got to deal with it because I know if I blow it. I know if I do wrong. And the Lord does not want you living, feeling bad about your life. Feeling condemned as if there's some kind of sentence against you. Everybody with me now? Someone said, what about repentance? Don't you believe we need to repent? Well, to answer that in a general sense, no. And it depends on who I'm talking to. I came to Jesus... And that is my repentance. I was once was lost, but now I'm found. Repentance has to do with I was going this way, and now I'm going this way. Literally, it means a change of mind. Okay? I was serving myself, serving the world, serving the devil, but one day I made Jesus Lord. He became the master of my life. That was my repentance. I repented from dead works, and I turned to the living God, and He changed me. Do I, as a believer now, have to continually repent? Because there's an idea propagated in the body of Christ that we just need to kind of have repentance meetings where we all come to church and we beat ourselves over the head and we just repent. And what is that doing? I'll tell you, it's building a consciousness of sin. It's making us all feel like we're not saved. That there's somehow some judgment coming against us. And no, that judgment came against Jesus. So it wouldn't have to come against us. Now, obviously, if I'm going the wrong, even after I'm saved, if I'm going the wrong way, sometimes Christians are doing that. You know what you need to do? Repent. (laughs) Yeah, because you need to turn and start going the right way. You need to have a change of mind about that. 
and begin going the right way. But don't, but don't assume just, you know, I'm serving God. We can't have the assumption that there's just something wrong that I need to repent of. No, there's something right I need to be thankful for. You can repent all day long. I'm just going to praise God. You'll feel bad about yourself and feel down and feel you'll lack strength and, 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 and ability to succeed. And I'll be more empowered as I give thanks to God and praise to Him every day for my right standing with God. That I'm right in His sight. His blood has washed and cleansed me all the day. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. That's the way we've got to live. Yeah. And in a, in a real broad sense, you know, with a change of mind. Anytime the Word of God is, te- is taught and we're thinking one way and we recognize our understanding, our thinking was incorrect, and now we change our thinking to go in line with the Word of God, well, that could be a form of repentance. You know, I used to think this way, now I'm thinking this way. And so in that sense, it can happen on an ongoing and continual basis. All right. And so, uh, again, you know, just in closing here now, Revelation... Uh, chapter 12, you don't need to turn there, but it talks about the accuser of the brethren. Remember that scripture? It's talking about the devil. He is called the accuser. He, he accused them before our God night and day. But how did, how did they overcome him? The scripture said they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. How do I overcome accusation? You're a rascal. You're guilty. You are condemned. I overcome that by saying, nope. The blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb has washed and cleansed me. My guilt was put on Him. My judgment and punishment was put on Him. And now I'm free, not condemned, not guilty, not sentenced to anything but blessing and life and favor from God, both now in this life and in the life that is to come. That's what the Lord has called us to. Amen? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're just so thankful here today for Your life. We're thankful for what you've given, what you've promised, what you've made available to each and every one of us. We believe that you're at work to help our minds to be renewed unto what you've called us to. Thank, thankful so, so much we are for your favor. Because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's by the grace of God that we've been saved. And that we can live this relationship with God, relationship with you every single day. Thank you for your hand of blessing and hand of favor now on each and every life. Father, for every lost person, I pray that they'd know you today.